I'm still covered in their blood. My heart is racing and it's still hard to breathe. It feels like I might never take a full breath again. Tonight was supposed to be a fun job. All I had to do was serve drinks at the biggest party of the year. But it all took a turn after the king called for the stupid golden cups. Bring the sacred cups from the temple, he said. If only he knew. Everyone was so drunk and we were pouring out wine for the gods. And then it happened. A hand. Yeah, just a hand. The size of a man's head was just floating there. I thought it was going insane. I thought I must have snuck one too many drinks. But I saw the faces of everyone around me and I knew I wasn't alone. It was a floating hand and my stomach sank at the sight of it. Fear wrapped itself around me so tight I felt all the blood drain from me. The king saw it too. He looked more worried than any of us. The hand began to write in script that I've never seen before. With every letter, the fear sunk deeper. Once the hand was done, it vanished just like it had appeared. But the heaviness of the air did not let up and it sucked the air out of our lungs. The king called a man. I was too far away to know what he said, but no one seemed pleased. Once the man left, we all thought maybe we could forget about all this. Maybe it was a bad dream. But even as the party continued, the feeling that grew. Then there was a sound that quieted the room. A long moan that seemed to come from deep underground. Everything was quiet. The only sounds were deep breaths of people being strangled by fear. Then it happened. They were like ghosts. I still don't understand where they came from, but they appeared and started cutting down the people. Not just the soldiers, but the women and the servants too. The sounds of death filled the air one by one. People in the room were slaughtered. I'll never forget their screams. I was panicking. My breath was so shallow I couldn't stand. I fell to the ground as they killed those around me. Their screams ringing in my ears as their blood splashed on my face. Then, there was nothing, just death. We're so glad you're tuning into the Apex Students Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Apex Students, and we pray that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus. Hey guys, what's up? <laughs> How's it going? Welcome to Sunday School Stories to Tell in the Dark. We are in week two here. Last week, we talked about our boy Jonah. He was in a fish. It was cool. It was cool. It was cool. This week... We're going to talk about what you just heard. Yeah, that was a real story from the Bible. It may have been a little bit more dramatic. You know, I added a couple parts. But that story is really from the Bible. And that is what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to dive deep into the book of Daniel. We're going to be in one chapter tonight. Last week, we were in a whole book because Jonah was small. We were in all four chapters of Jonah. But this week, we're going to focus in on just one chapter of Daniel. So Daniel chapter 5, if you have your Bibles or if you have an app with you, open up because we're going to be doing a lot of reading from that book specifically. Now, just like always, before we dive into the story that we're going to talk about tonight, I want to put it into some context. We're going to talk about what was going on at the time where, where you know, in the Bible the story is. So before we jump into Daniel, we're actually going to jump all the way back to the first book of the Bible, 
and I want to talk to you guys about Abraham. Yeah, Abraham. So God picked this guy, Abraham, and he's like, hey, you, buddy, I'm going to use you to make like a great, a great nation. And this nation, through this nation, I'm going to save the world. Jesus is going to come through you. And because God always says what, or does what he says he's going to do, it happened. And so Abraham's family grew and grew and grew. Uh, they were in slavery for a while. They were free. Um, they became this like great nation. And they had, uh, they had kings. They had palaces, huge cities. They had huge temples. They had all this going for them. And that is, there was a lot of ups and downs along the way. But that is kind of where we're going to pick up in Daniel chapter 1. So we're going to talk about Daniel chapter 1 real quick. Chapter 1. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to just read one verse from it. And then we're going to be in chapter 5. Yeah. So Daniel Chapter 1, verse 1. It says, During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, the king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So you can tell from the first sentence of this book that this isn't going to necessarily be like a really great book for, you know, the people of Judah, the people of Israel, God's chosen people. Um, king Nebuchadnezzar came and he took the city. He besieged it and he took the city he took a lot of people with him. He took a lot of belongings, a lot of things from the temple. You know, they ransacked it. And they took stuff back to their city, to the city of Babylon. And along with captives, he was looking for a specific type of captives. This is what it says. In, in Actually, from the Bible, verse 4, it says, Strong, healthy, and good-looking young men is what he was looking for to take back with him to Babylon. Um, there's a lot of reasons for him doing this, mostly because he was going indoctrinate, to indoctrinate them in the ways of their culture and then send them back, and that way there'd be a lot of you know, uh, culture mixing, which was good for him so that people didn't rebel. Um, but yeah, he was looking specifically for good, good looking men. So he would have taken, you know, Derek, he would have left me behind. Uh, thankfully I would have stayed in Jerusalem and Derek would have gone. So at this point is where we meet Daniel for the first time, right? Cause Daniel is one of those, one of those good looking handsome boys that King Nebuchadnezzar takes back with him to Babylon. And I'm going to really quick sum up chapters one through four, because we're just going to you know, breeze through those, and we're going to hit chapter five real quick. So this is what happens in uh, chapters one through four. This is about Daniel and his friends. So, deep breath, because here we go. Daniel and his friends are on a very trendy diet. They learn a bunch. Oh, my goodness. The king has a bad dream. Daniel goes, know about that dream. And the king's like, cool. You're, the, you're a big guy now. So now Daniel's this big, 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 big guy in the world. You know, he's powerful. Uh, the king is a little stupid and doesn't follow God the way he's supposed to. So he's like, I'm going to make myself as an idol, and I'm going to make people bow down and worship it. And then, you know, fire your furnace. Three people, wait, four people. Uh-oh, Shadrach, Meshach, a bumblebee. All of that happens. All of that happens in chapters one through four. That is all about King Nebuchadnezzar, right? And King Nebuchadnezzar has this like ups and downs with God because, you know, we all do. But at the end of the day, Daniel was there and he would always help the king get back to God. And this is actually from chapter 4, verse 37. And this is the last thing that we hear from King Nebuchadnezzar in the story. He says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. And now, right after this is where our story is going to pick up in chapter 5. There's actually like a 25-year gap in between these chapters. It doesn't say it in the book. It just keeps going. But there's a lot of time between. Enough time that the new king, King Belshazzar, is like completely forgot about Nebuchadnezzar. And he's not following God like the last king did. You can, you can tell immediately because he decides, at the very first verse, he's like, yo, I'm going to have a party and I'm going to invite a thousand of my closest friends. Just a, cl just a few thousand of my closest friends. And so here they are. 
they are at this party. They're drinking away, having the time of their lives. And the king gets this brilliant idea. He's like, you know what's going to be the best? Is if we go to the storage facility where we were keeping all those cool cups that we took from the temple in, in Jerusalem, if we bring those out and we use those because they're golden and I think it'd be neat. So this is when things kind of take a turn and things get wild. I Don't ever tell me that God is boring because let me tell you, he can really shake up a party. Um, and this is, what, this is what happens. In uh, chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, suddenly they saw the fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. The king himself saw the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale with fright. His knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave way beneath him. Guys, this is theater. This is drama. This is spooky time. You know, this is, God's just like, yo, I, I, he's not fooling around right now, right? He's like, I'm going to send, he's like, you know what's going to be the coolest right now? Is the best way to mess up this party? Is I'm going to send a floating hand to write on a wall in a script that no one can read. Right? Like, that's kind of cool. Like, I think, you know, God knows what he was doing. But Why? Why was he doing this? I'm just going to give you a little spoiler alert. It doesn't end well for the king. This isn't like a hand of, of guidance and a hand of help. This is a hand of judgment and doom. Um, this isn't a good thing for the king. But, but why is God like, going off like this? Like, what's going on? I'm going to tell you a true fact. God is a jealous God. We read about it a couple of times in the Bible. He talks about how he wants our love and our devotion, and he doesn't want us to put it somewhere else. So God was reacting so, so huge because they were using those cups from the temple and they were pouring them out and they were offer sacrificing. They were sacrificing and worshiping other gods that they had made themselves with like gold, silver, iron, wood. There was like a bunch of them. So that was, that was happening. So God was like, you know what? I'm sending this hand and I'm going to stop it. And like this was one of the basic Ten Commandments, right? So that's why God is so like upset about it. He's like, this is an easy one and he's really messing it up. So let's jump over to Exodus. We're going to read exactly what this king messed up. Exodus chapter 20, it says this, Have no gods other than me. Do not make for yourselves a god to look like anything that is in heaven above or the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not worship them or work for them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. See, he says it right there. He's like, I am jealous. It's, well, it's what it is. So a bunch of you are probably thinking right now, like, why are you even talking about this? This is the easiest commandment. Because like, I doubt, I mean, if this is you, we're going to talk after. We're going to have a very long conversation. But I doubt any of us are going home and like whittling away like a little God and praising it or like smelting some iron in our houses and setting it up on a pedestal and worshiping it, right? Like I feel like not many of us in this room are doing that. I also really feel like most people in this room are Jesus followers or Jesus follower adjacent where you're thinking about it. And so we're not really struggling with like the worshiping gods of other religions because we kind of know this, this God. We know Jesus. So, like, why are we even talking about this one, right? Well, I'm going to tell you something. When Jesus came to the earth, he kind of changed a lot of things. Number one, he changed the relationship we get to have with him. But number two, he, he took a lot of the laws and made us reevaluate what they actually meant. He says this in, um, in Matthew about one of the other commandments that God had given. He says, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what is he saying here? He's saying that it's not just the physical thing. It's not just something that's physical. It's what's in your heart. It's what your motives are that are important to him. It's not just, I didn't create an idol today. It's, I didn't worship something above God today, which is much different. 
Uh, Let's look at the word worship real quick, because that's really what we're talking about, right? Like, what does it even mean to worship an idol? I did a lot of reading, and there's a lot, a lot, a lot of different definitions and commentaries and Hebrew and Greek word. There's a lot going on, but I'm just going to sum it up for you really quick. It all basically boils down to when you worship, it was you're putting something in a place of honor in your life. And you can do that in so many ways. Like you can just, you can be telling God like, hey, you're important to me. I'm putting you in this place because you are good, because you are holy. Like that, like the way we worship with songs, a lot of it is just us putting God in a place of honor. So we put him in that place of honor by spending time with him, by talking to him and being grateful to him. So like I said, you might not be making idols in your room, you know, like with made of gold, but you may be putting things in a place of honor above him. You may be putting things above God in your life. Let me, let me tell you a little bit more. Let me, let me break it down some more for you. How many of us have been playing Minecraft and you know I need to be in bed at 11? So if I get off of Minecraft at 1040, it gives me exactly 20 minutes to do my 10 and 10 to spend time with God and then I can go to sleep. But instead of doing that, you just keep playing Minecraft till exactly 11 and then you go straight to bed. Yeah, dude. But Minecraft is still fun. There's a lot of stuff happening in Minecraft. Um, But then you just go to bed. In that moment, Minecraft, that game that you were playing, becomes an idol in your life because you placed it above God. Or how about when you know that God isn't necessarily pleased with the decision that you've been making or a person that you've been hanging out with or, you you know, the website you were going to or the thing that you've been smoking. And And you know for a fact that he's not pleased, but you keep doing it anyway. In that moment, you put whatever that is above God, and that became an idol in your life. So this, this commandment isn't as easy as it sounds. Like, oh, put no other gods before you, easy. But then when you break it down and you, you put the words of Jesus to it, it becomes much, much harder. Every time you don't listen to God or spend time with him because, that because becomes an idol in your life. Every single time that because becomes an idol. Because your friends think it's weird because it's hard to do sometimes. Because I'd rather be having fun. Because sometimes reading is boring. Because the next episode is already playing on Netflix. Yeah, Netflix does not take time. It's like, okay, I need to make this decision immediately because the next episode is already playing. Or because this like non-worship song is really good and I want to listen to it again. I get it. Or like, I just can't stop scrolling TikTok. I understand. I understand completely. But in those moments, all of those things become idols in our lives, and we are honoring them above God, and we've put them in a place where they don't belong. But there is an easy step to make sure that that God is in a place of honor in our life, and that is to plan a time to meet face-to-face with God. Make Make it... Make it such an important thing that nothing else can get in the way, right? It, it's, your, it's your 10 and 10. It's just spending time in prayer, spending time in worship. If you can't do 10 and 10, do 5 and 5. If you feel like that's too long, do two and a half and two and a half. You know, like just spend time with God every single day and make it important and make it a time that no matter what's happening in that moment, you're going to say yes to God in that moment. But also remember, we're never going to be perfect. I'm not, I'm not up here telling you that I'm the best at this and I have no idols in my life. No. I struggle just as much as anyone else does with this, but I'm going to try to do better than I did yesterday, and I'm going to try to do better tomorrow than I did today, and that's what God is asking from us. Remember, when God convicts you, his conviction is going to feel like motivation. He's going to be like, hey, you didn't do the best today, but I know you can be doing better. So that's going to feel like motivation. But every single time you get that guilt feeling that says, hey, you weren't good enough, that's not from God. 
that's from somebody else. So don't listen to that voice. The voice of conviction is going to be motivation in your life, not something that makes you want to take a step back. Okay, so whew, where were we? Right, homeboy brought out the cups. God has a hand. Uh, lots going on. So that's where we were. So after all of this, right, after the hand was there, everyone's scared. The king decides, like, I need to figure out what this says, right? What, what's written on the wall here? So he calls a bunch of smart people, and he tells them this. He's like, yo, whoever can read this writing and tell me what it means will be dressed in purple robes of royal honor and will have a gold chain placed around his neck. He will become the third highest ruler in all the kingdom. Guys, a gold chain. Like, who wouldn't want to be super excited about you know, it's like, let's go. I'm going to interpret what this means. But sadly, no one could do it. Like all those smart people were there, the smartest people on all the land. No one could figure out what it was saying. And it made everyone even more scared. Everyone was like, what is going on? At this moment is when we got introduced to the character of the Queen Mother. Um, she most likely is one of the wives of King Nebuchadnezzar, the one that came before. Um, so she knows a little bit about Daniel. And she makes her appearance, and um, she says, yo, don't be pale and frightened. That's what she tells the king. She's like, yo, just don't, don't feel that way. Hold it in instead. And she says this to him. She said, there's a man in your kingdom who has within him the spirit of the holy gods. During Nebuchadnezzar's reign, this man was found to have insight, understanding, and wisdom like that of the gods. Your predecessor, the king Nebuchadnezzar, made him chief over all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers of Babylon. Whew, Daniel was really killing it, right? Like, this was, this was good for him. Like, they were uh, pretty excited to have him around, and she's like, you should be talking to him, you silly boy. You forgot. And so the king was like, okay, let's bring Daniel in. He brings him in, catches him up on everything that's going on. And then Daniel, um, being who he is, um, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't hold back, guys. He's not holding back at all. He's just telling the king how it is. Um, in fact, you can read, so in the next chapter, in chapter 6 is when we learn about Daniel in the lion's den, right? Where Daniel's like, I'm going to pray no matter what, even if it means I'm ending up in a lion's den and getting eaten by lions. Like, that takes a lot of courage, but I really think that his most courageous moment is right here at this time. He looks directly into the king's face, and he says, he says this. He says, keep your gifts or give them to someone else, right off with the attitude. He's like, I don't care about your gold chain. I don't care about being third in command. Like, I'm going to say what I need to say. And he, he definitely does. First, he reminds the king of the old king. He goes, the most high God gave sovereignty, majesty, glory, and honor to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. He made him so great that people of all races, nations, languages trembled before him in fear. And then he continues on by telling Nebuchadnezzar the story, like one of the last stories that we hear of. Um, yeah, he tells Belshazzar, not Nebuchadnezzar, he tells Belshazzar the last story about Nebuchadnezzar. And he goes... There was a time when Nebuchadnezzar was a little bit too proud, so God kind of humbled him a little bit. He went mad. He lived with some wild donkeys. Um, he lost his kingdom for a little bit, but then he turned back to God, humbled himself, and he got it all back because he turned back to God. So he reminds him this, and then he just goes, okay, like after he reminds him of who the last king was and how good the last king was, he goes, and you are his successor, O Belshazzar, and you knew all of this, yet you have not humbled yourself. You have proudly de defiled the Lord of heaven and have had these cups from his temple brought before you. You and your nobles and your wives and concubines have been drinking wine from them while praising the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Gods that neither see nor hear nor know anything about you, but you have not honored the God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. He straight up calls him out, right? He's like, you weren't worshiping the right God, you silly little boy. And like, this is the king, guys. Like, this is the king that can just be like, 
oh, you're disrespecting me? Uh, off with your head, and then Daniel's dead, right? So this is taking a bunch of courage to stand up and speak to this king what God is, t- is saying. That's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. So this is actually what was written. There was three words written on the wall, and Daniel says what they are, and then he says what they mean. So let's, let's see if I can remember how to say all these. Okay, so many... I think is how they pronounced it, means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. Yikes. Numbered your days and is bringing it to an end. And then we have uh, tekel, which means weighted. You've been weighted on the balances that have not measured up. You straight up telling this king, like, you didn't do a good enough job. Like, this is, this is pretty intense. And then the last one was parson, and it means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians, which were two, like, rival nations at the time, like, two up-and-coming armies. The king's pretty shocked, right? Like, this is, this is a, a shock. Like, okay, this guy has told me a lot. He has a lot to process. So he kind of just gives Daniel all the things, the gold necklace and the robe and the third in the kingdom or whatever. And then Daniel leaves, and he's just sitting there processing. But then that very night, it says, Darius the Mede attacked the city, and he killed the king and divided the kingdom, just like the writing on the wall said. So is there anyone that likes Lord of the Rings in here? Uh, I have a little fun fact for you. I have a fun little fact for you. The walls of Babylon were super thick, right? And everyone thought, there's no way anyone's getting in to this city. Like, they pretty much thought it was undefeatable. They were like, this is going to be fine. But there was one part of the wall where water went in underneath the city. Now, there weren't any explosions involved, so it's not exactly like Lord of the Rings, but they dammed up the, the river and so that the water levels went down and then they entered in through the sewer system and then they came up through the sewers and started attacking everyone and I just think that's really cool and it has nothing to do with what we're talking about but it's one of my favorite facts. Okay, so again, just like last week, this story doesn't have a very happy ending. Like everyone seems a little bummed out because it's like, yeah, everybody dies in the end. Uh, last week, we just left Jonah, you know, rotting in the sun basically. This week, we're leaving the king dead. So like, these aren't necessarily the uh, the happiest of stories, but we did learn a lot, right? We learned that God takes his commandments seriously and that he's a jealous God. But if we just look a little bit closer, like if we dig into this a little bit more, we can see that part of the reason that God was so upset by what happened to this party was because the king used cups from the temple. Because God had given Israel a very specific set of rules and tools for worshiping him, right? And many of these were used and stored in the temple. So when the king uses these cups... He was using cups that were meant for worshiping and serving God, and he used them to worship and serve himself and false gods. Now, things are a little bit different because we don't have to go to a temple to worship God because Jesus came and he closed the separation that sin put between us. So now we are the temple, right? We are the temple. We don't go to the temple because we are the temple. And we can worship God wherever we choose, and we get to pray to him all day and have that relationship. But God is still giving us rules, rules and tools that he expects us to worship and honor his name with. Now, he's not giving us cups, but he's given every single one of us in here our lives, and he's given every single one of us talent, and he's given every single one of us influence. And he expects us to use all of those things to honor him and to make his name known around the world. It says uh, in, in Colossians three seventeen that whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. 
So this can mean anything, right? It could mean that you're up here singing. It could mean, you know, all the classics, like you, you're uh, at church volunteering as a greeter, or, you know, uh, you're in the Apex store, or, you know, you're telling your friends about Jesus. Or it could mean that you become a computer engineer, and in your job, you're telling people about Jesus as you're working. It could mean that you're a stay-at-home dad, and you raise three God-loving children. It could mean that you're working at Starbucks, but you're using that time and that's your influence for honoring God and putting him first in your life. And I'm telling you right now, he's truly gifted us with every single one of us with something to worship him with. And Jesus talks about this a little bit in Matthew 26, right? So he tells the story. He tells a parable about three workers, right? One worker is given five bags of money. Imagine he's getting a bag of money. So one worker gets five bags of money. The other worker gets two bags and the other worker gets one bag. The worker with five bags goes out and starts a small business, and he ends up making a bunch more bags of money. The worker that had two bags, he just invested in some really uh, cool company, and then he ends up getting more bags of money. And the guy that had one bag of money got scared, and he went and he just buried his money underneath a tree. And now the boss guy, he's coming back, right? And he's like, let's see what happened with the money that I entrusted to these people. And he says to the two guys that, that, that made more money, right? He says to the two guys, the one with five and the one with four, or the one with two, that doubled their money. He says to them, this is what he says. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. So that's good. Like He's like, let's go, let's go. And then he says this to the guy that buried it in the ground and didn't do anything. He said, he said, you wicked and lazy servant. God doesn't fool around with like letting us get away with a bunch of things, like especially when it comes to the gifts and the talents that he's put into our lives because he wants us to be the best version of us because he sees the best version of us and he knows that that best version is following in his footsteps and he wants what's best for you. So he does, gets a, he gets a little upset when you're not doing the right thing. I'm sure you guys have been there. Have you seen your friend doing something stupid and you feel it's like a love anger where it's like, oh, I'm mad at you because I love you. That's the kind of thing that God does when we aren't using our lives, our influence like we are supposed to be. And you might not think that God has given you much, but he knows who you are at your best and expects it from you. We don't want to be like King Belshazzar, right? We don't want to be filled with pride and think that we can be using our, our cups, our influence, our lives, our talents for just anything, right? We don't want to be that. We don't want to see the writing on the wall and, be, and realize it was too late, I should have done more. So now is the time to pray and ask God what the next step is. Like, what should I be doing? And if you're struggling to think of a talent, just start here. We represent Jesus to the people around us and God has given every person here influence, yeah. Each of you are an influencer. You might not be like huge, you might not have millions of followers on Instagram or on TikTok, or you might not have a, a global following on YouTube, but each and every single one of you has influence in someone's lives. It may be your siblings, it may be the people in your class, it may be your parents. It actually may be the people that, you, that follow you on TikTok or on Instagram. But there are people in your lives that you have influence in their lives. And God is asking us all to honor him and by preaching his name. Just like Pastor Chris talked about, we are to make disciples, and that's what he's calling us each to. When we make disciples, we're actually worshiping God, and that's how it works. Every single time we're worshiping God, we are doing something for him. By doing, yeah, by doing something for him, we are worshiping him. So you can also, and there's an easy step. So, like I said, you have influence over everyone. 
So just start by those people in your life that you have influence over. Admit to them that you're a Jesus follower. Admit to them that you read your Bible, that you worship, that you pray. Invite them to Apex. Invite them to church. These are all easy steps to take. And eventually those, those just admitting the truth will turn into conversations that will maybe you've made a disciple and you've done exactly what Jesus has called you to do. At the end of the day, when we put aside our idols and we truly worship and serve God with everything that we have, it means that we end up spending more time with him and it means that we'll get to know his voice and we'll be able to do more, right? It feels like every single time I get to the end of a Bible story, it always comes down to spending more time with God, the God who created you, who loves you, who deeply wants your life to be the best that it could be. Not easy, because he's never going to call us to do something easy, but the best that it could be. And when we follow him and we put our lives in his hands, we get to go on adventures that we never thought we'd be able to. We get to be a part of the story that he's telling, the part of the story that means redemption for everyone on earth, that means love for everyone on earth. So let's do it. Let's let go of the excuses and the idols and live our lives the way that Jesus would want us to on earth. And if tonight you want to join that story for the first time, that story of redemption, talk to any of the adults in this room. If you want to become a Jesus follower for the first time, I promise it is going to be the best decision you made. And we want to help you with anything that is going on. So come talk to one of us. Talk to me. Talk to anyone else in the room. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that your word is so cool and that there are so many stories that we can learn from and learn more about you. We ask tonight that you help us to identify the things in our lives that we are putting in a place of honor above you, the idols that we've made for ourselves. We also ask you to help us identify the gifts and the talents and the influence that you've placed in our lives and help us to steward it well. Help us to make disciples like you commanded us to. Help us to know how to reach the people around us and how to be using the gifts that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this Apex Student Podcast. You can listen to more Apex teachings by subscribing on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We pray that this message has impacted your life and that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus.